That's kind of weak, isn't it? That's really chintzy. We need a new bell. All right. Hey, welcome, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the fellowship around the table and food. And, um, but let's go ahead and get started. And uh, we're going to pray because I sure need it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your presence. Uh, we know you are here. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit dwelling in each of us and so powerful. And work through me. Help me to say what needs to be said. Help us to hear what needs to be heard. And that by the end of the night, that we know more about you. We feel encouraged to love and serve you more and more. And so, Lord, I just pray all this in your son's most precious name, Jesus. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right in and just a, just a quick review of where we are tonight. Um, we're in the, this overall theme, God's one redemptive story and Christ as the center, uh, central character. Um, the theme that everything is supporting this one theme through our entire class. And right now we're in the period of teaching these 21 letters, epistles, books, between the book of Acts and Revelation. And so we've already been through week nine, where it emphasizes the new life in Christ. Week 10, emphasizing the being united in Christ. And then tonight, we're just emphasizing that this new community, these people are faithful to Christ in suffering. And so tonight's just gonna be focused on that theme, supporting the one general theme of a redemptive story, okay? So, as the big idea, followers of Jesus remain faithful to him in the midst of suffering and struggles. And so we'll try to just uh, highlight a little bit this, these ideas of why suffering and struggles exist in our world, uh, how suffering and struggles mature our faith in God, and how suffering and struggles show the gospel to others. So we'll just try to pick a little bit about that. But right away, we're going to do our first group discussion, okay? And so take your general um, guide on the table. Somebody be the scribe. Turn that over. And what you're doing is, as a group, you will make a broad list of suffering, struggles, troubles, trials, hardships, and difficulties that have been recorded in the New Testament in which Jesus, the apostles, and believers had to face and go through. It's a general broad list of just popcorn answers. Write down what are all the hardships that you know of that you can remember. And then after a little bit of a list, have somebody come up and write them on the, the board. If there's some duplicates, don't worry about it. All right, just go at it for a few minutes. All right, thanks. Well, that was an uplifting activity to start tonight, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know, you can't all see this list, but flogging, stoning, persecution, jail, martyrdom, um, Roman rule, crucifixion, disbelief, pain, grueling travel, um, ostracized, Beaten, hung on a cross, had to leave families, prison, uh, beheading, 
ridiculed, slaves, um, dealing with false teachers, exile, famine, drought, blindness, loneliness, betrayal, rejection, shipwrecked. I mean, that's just a short list of really the breadth and depth of what it's really like to live in this fallen, broken world. And no doubt that of what we read about, this persecution is maybe top of the list. But I think for tonight, we can also consider that all kinds of suffering and struggles that these passages would apply as well. And so whether it's big or small, and we all are affected by this sin, and so we need to have this encouragement. We need these words just for even day-to-day stuff that we have to deal with in this, again, fallen, broken world. But it is interesting that people made a list of categories. This is just a sampling of the kinds of suffering that are, are there and where it comes from. Now, obviously, all of all the fallen is from original sin. Um, but think about demonic suffering from Satan, spiritual attacks, even in the physical realm, victims from others, individuals or group, groups including the government, persecution, disciplinary suffering from God. The example is in Hebrews when. He disciplines his children just like a father would out of love for their own good. It's not easy to go through, but it's good for her. Consequential suffering from self. Choices made. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Regrets and the ripple effects of our own sins and consequences. And then empathetic suffering from the pain of others. And those who have more of empathy than others, you know what this means. Um, it's, it's, it's both a blessing and a curse. The blessing is that you really have the ability to step into someone else's emotions, not just think as they think, but to experience what they're experiencing. But it's also a curse because you, you can do that, and you do it often, and you feel the hurts and pains of others around you most often. And so there is this a suffering involved with the sufferings of others. So that's just an interesting way of looking at there's a lot of different kinds and where they all come from. I also went through the book. As I was reading through it, I saw that a lot of these dates were really close together. So I just listed from the book from 60 to 70 all the things that were happening. And 14 of the, the books were written during this period, laced within these other events that were happening. So you really get the, the feel, the flavor of what was going on among the people, among the believers. What would it be like to live through the decade of the 60s? It was So again, Matthew, martyred, Paul in prison, execution, 
And then 684 AD, this great fire in Rome. And it said that this fire started, lasted for six days. Of the 14 districts, only three of them were left unscathed. And nobody knows for sure who really started it. Um, some expect like it was the emperor himself, that some way he was involved in it. But instead of taking any ownership, of course, he just deflected it. And he said the, the Christians did it. And it started this incredible hunting down. And I can't even read some of the, the descriptions that other historians and other um, works talk about the kind of torture that he put Christians through to torture and then to kill. And so these were written through this time of great distress and exile, running for your life, literally. I don't know about you, but it's, I have a hard time imagining what that really is like being a Westerner in this side of the world. We really don't know what that really means. But there are people in Africa and in the Middle East and in Asia that this is a very, it's still a very real thing. And they're running for their lives. And so you get this idea that in this period of time is, is really just a, a microcosm of what we have to deal with and what people before us and what people will after us is that when Jesus left and ascended into the clouds, Pentecost, but his ascension, and he says, you know, I will leave you now, give you the Holy Spirit, but I'm leaving you now, I will come back later. And then this other bookend is that he will come back in the clouds just like he went, and he will gather up his own to be with him for all of eternity. But between his ascension and his return, we have to live in this age that's really tough. <laughs> really tough, and it's hard. And that's where we need some words of encouragement during this time. And that's why these people wrote some of these books, these apostles. I want you to go back in, in your groups, and I want you to discuss a little section in 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1, 6 through 8. And to share a little bit, I'm going to give you a little bit of time, to share when, in the wording here, grieved by various trials. And that maybe those trials ended up testing the genuineness of your faith. What does that really mean? And then to look at verse 8. How did those experience, those trials? Though you have not seen him, you dot, dot, dot. Look at what it says there. What's the correlation even in your own life? See if you can share maybe a story. All right, I'll give you some time. All right. I hope most of you had a chance to share these um, real-life experiences. It's good to share and hear some of these. But initially, before we go on, to read the, uh, the whole passage, but just initially, just somebody described, just in a short answer, initial thoughts of how do you think this word faith is kind of used in these verses? 
was referring to? How do you describe the faith, your faith? Any ideas? But you can see that some of the common denominators in all these answers, it's, it's really about this in Christ, this relationship and belief and faith and trust and in this person of Christ. To Christ. Yeah. So I'm going to have Jess because I just love his voice. <laughs> I want him to read um, these next three slides are this passage. And Peter, Peter is the shepherd. And if you remember back in the Gospels, after his, his resurrection, they have a little heart-to-heart meeting on the beach. And that's the one he says, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Well, Lord, you know everything. And he says, go feed my sheep. And I think he really took that to heart because there's so many references about this being a shepherd. And so he's going to read it as a, as a shepherd over his flock, concerned for his, these people. And so go ahead and read it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Asia, Bithynia, and that other place, (laughs) according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, and that perishes through, it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you. Powerful passage. And, and the more we look at it, that inheritance, so, so often we think we're, you know, the mansions and the treasures. But really, what is the inheritance? And what is this really emphasizing? The genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold. It's really emphasizing something way different than that other things. 
And to be in this relationship because of salvation, because of who Jesus is and what he has done, it's really emphasizing what we already mentioned before, this in Christ, this intimate relationship that we have, that he's allowed to happen. And so, so often when we think about faithfulness, faithful faith, so often we, we skew it towards just my behaviors. Did I get this right or did I get it wrong? Did I succeed or fail in the struggle? And that's how we measure it. But really what is he asking us to focus in on is how well did we remain in contact and focus on Jesus? To abide, to be in, to believe, to trust in him. That's really more of the measurement of how well are we doing in that, of the true faithfulness, the genuineness of that. And this is where I think that these struggles really kind of force us to have to be at the end of ourselves many of the times, like the dominoes, and you can't stop the dominoes. It's just going to happen. And there's no way to fix it and change it and do anything about it. And so it forces us to the end of our own self-reliance and our own self-resources and how we work it. Because we live in this Western world where that's the theme. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we're good at it. <laughs> Real good at it. And so I can see where many times he will allow things to happen to get us out of those comfort zones. To be uncomfortable. To go through struggles of various kinds. And that we, that we have to go to him because there would be nowhere else to go. And really learn that dependency because that's what he really wants in the first place. Because that's the best for us. To be in a dependent relationship with him, that's when it goes best for us. If we can just kind of get it in our heads. Shifting gear a little bit. The other emphasis that the author of the book want to emphasize is that there's many references about trial and error and to be careful of that. And so when you think about they're in exile, distress, we are very vulnerable to be deceived, to be distracted, to be discouraged. And it wouldn't take much under these kind of circumstances for stuff to kind of happen. And so you can see how many references of there's going to be false teachers and scoffers. But be careful, you don't get carried away. Lose your own stability. And there's references about then the apostles who write these. I, I intend always to remind you. I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Test the spirit. That you know the spirit of truth versus the spirit of evil. He rejoices that some are walking in the truth. But there are many deceivers, so watch yourself. If there's good, it really does come from God. Evil, 
They don't see God. Certain people have crept in intentionally and deliberately trying to mess with. But you must remember. I just wanted to emphasize that this is laced throughout these books. In this time of distress and exile, to be careful, because I think they're very vulnerable. Being a therapist, I deal with people in my office all the time with how to recognize and how to deal with these emotions. And these emotions are some of the basic big emotions that we can have, these negative emotions. Um, Nothing wrong with these emotions. God-given, we're creating his image. God is angry at times. Um, The sadness of discouragement. But if we don't check these emotions, this is also what internally can wreak havoc on our minds. And that's where these irrational thoughts, distorted thoughts. And so we are more and more susceptible to be deceived by Satan and others and run with it. And so when these things happen, you can see the, if there's injustice, I'm angry. And if there's more than one disappointment after disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, you start getting discouraged. Like, fine, add that to the rest of the list. And you stay in discouragement long enough, it's kind of dark. And fear. Oh no, what else is going to happen? What if this happens? What if that happens? And the worry of taking a, a known situation, extrapolating out into the worst possible scenario and dwelling on that as, that as it actually would happen. And you live in that. That's what worry is. Anger, unkept, will build as a resentment and, and, and bitterness, like a toxic poison. And it just wants to come out in revenge. And so when these emotions, if they're unchecked, undealt with, and they're just allowed to go, can run havoc in your life and everyone around you. So therefore, you become more and more ineffective of what God really wants to do in you and through you. So I'm just bringing this up that in struggles and in the, these, the suffering, you have to deal with this as well. Because this is a great influence that can distract and discourage and get you off the tracks. So it's good to recognize that this internal stuff is there as well not just what we do or don't do. Um, Can I have another reader that can read these uh, verses for me? Great, thanks. Oh, wait, before you do that. Um, Jumping into more of the hope and encouragement, um, really about Hebrews. Hebrews is a very unique book. And one author put it as, 
is written to rekindle a dampened fire. Um, and I think the best way to th- this rekindling or a reboot for these believers that have been so exiled is really to go back to basics, square one, which is really mean going back to Jesus. And remembering the foundation, the core of who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. And that is the start of that reboot, that rekindling. And I think that's what all of us need again and again and again to go back to that square one and be reminded of who this Jesus is, who is above all. So read this one. These verses right here. Hebrews 5, 7 to 10. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Interesting, interesting verses. Again, going back to Jesus and him being this model and example. What do you think he's referring to? What event earlier on? The loud cries and tears in those prayers. What piece in his life? Sorry? Keep, go back a little bit sooner. Gethsemane. You remember that? The turmoil of in the prayers and pleading with his father, if there's any way that this cup can be passed from me. He, God didn't answer that piece, but I'm glad that we also have it in context that in the same breath, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And that's exactly what the Father did. And through him, um, this is how we get the salvation that we need. But this other piece about obedience, he learned obedience. This is Jesus, okay? So it doesn't mean that he went from disobedience to obedience. He went from obedience to obedience of intending to obey, do my father's will, but he actually had to go through it, all of it. And at any given moment, he could have snapped his finger and said, I'm done. But obedient to the father's will to go through to the point of death, that's the obedience part. But I think the prayer in in Gethsemane and so many other places that he never did it alone. He always went back to the Father and relying on the Spirit. Always, always, always. I think that's part of the model of how to obey and go through it. And asking for help. Let's go on to another verse in Hebrews. Can someone read this one? Wherever the mic is.
Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. We, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you. Since we have this high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, let us hold fast to that confession. Throughout history, there's been many creeds that have been written, like the Apostles' Creed. I believe the God Almighty. These are statements. Stand on. You don't waver from. And I love this verse about un, he's, he's, this high priest is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Being a man, man, he gets it. Because he actually had to go through all of these kinds of sin in every way, being tempted, every category, um, but yet he did it without sin. Now, some people, well, I'm not Jesus. But yet when you think about what he had to go through is not just this, these sufferings to the cross, but can you imagine the weight of what was on his shoulders? He had to remain sinless. He never gets, there's no, there's no mulligan here. Every temptation, every situation, all the time, without sin, without sin. He had to be the um, perfect lamb without blemish for the sacrifice. And the other way is that why he came to, to get to the cross the whole, all of mankind was resting on his shoulders. So when you think about someone who kind of gets it, he gets it. And way more than I think we realize that he gets it. And so we, when we pray, we've got someone who knows what he's talking about and what we're going through. I think that helps when we go to prayer, when we ask for help. Let us, let us now, uh, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and, and help in a time of need. I'm going to show you a picture next, but this picture is me. It's unscripted, and it was taken. I didn't know this picture was taken, of course, until afterwards, but it's really powerful for me on what it symbolizes. Several years ago, uh, we used to do kids camp, and Rachel was in charge of it, and she would ask me to come, and I would teach these third, fourth, and fifth graders Bible and theology, and to really try to have them understand theological concepts at their level of what their salvation is really all about, and to understand their sin, but at the same time, those who trust in him were given and being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so what I did is I was up on stage, and in the audience is my daughter. That's Michaela. Some 14 years ago, I don't know. <laughs> and so as she's, I said, you know, why don't you come up? 
She gets up and starts walking up. I sit down and there's this white sheet next to me and I kind of have it and I said, here, just sit here. And I wrap this thing around her and I put my arms. The cool part, look at her head. Again, this is unscripted. What is she doing? Resting. She knows her daddy. See, I get emotional. Not just because of the, this is my daughter. I get emotional because I'm Michaela with my heavenly father. And it's taken me a long time to rest in that. So when you think about this confidence, she didn't hesitate to walk up there whatsoever. A lot of times we can still be kind of hesitant of this fear in the way we use the fear that this risk of judgment and condemnation. We get a little gun shy. But if we're closed in the righteousness of Christ, we're made holy to be in a relationship with a holy God. That's the only way it works. <laughs> so if he sees us as holy, there's nothing else to judge and condemn. And so to rest in that reality and to come boldly with confidence to my daddy, my Abba father, wow. And so to be able to do that in time of need, in time of suffering and struggles, man, sometimes we need that. <laughs> because sometimes that's the only place we can go. Let's go on to another one. Can someone read this section? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank you. So this great cloud of witnesses, spectators or maybe fellow participants <laughs> along the way. Other people that have come before us maybe that gets it. <laughs> and so the challenge is, is to get rid of the stuff that gets in the way for us to look to Jesus and to rest in that relationship to actually find the help to get through it and to get through it well. So when I think about this, this race of endurance, I need a, I need a good coach. <laughs> I know a coach who knows me better than I know myself. And because of that, he's going to figure out a customized workout plan that's good for me. And sometimes it may not be comfortable to go through that workout. But I need to be stretched and pushed for my own good. To run more of the race and to endure and to persevere. I need someone I can trust 
that can actually do that, and what better to trust than someone who's actually finished the race? Actually finished the race. To me, that's an encouragement. And so when I was thinking about that Jesus is this forerunner, he's the, the original one who went on the race, I remember what it was like to go through one time in my life, this Stations of the Cross. Sometimes Protestants don't get the benefit of like bumping into some of these practices. Um, man, I love going to some of these places that are Catholic. I might not have to buy into everything, but I know that. I'm not worried about it. I'm not bent out of shape. But I love some of their practices. And the Stations of a Cross is set up where you end up moving from station to station and you sit there and ponder this step of what he had to go through and then this step. And as you work through it, you kind of get this breadth and depth of this is just to get to the cross. (laughs) Willingly, silently to do it. And then I thought about the apostles and that we know some, maybe others are speculation, but we can kind of be assured that most of them did not have a pleasant death, starting from Stephen and the stoning and on. So from Jesus to his apostles and how many of them were martyred and persecuted And then I went on. I recalled that there's been works done about other believers throughout the ages. And one work is the Fox Book of Martyrs, where you end up collecting these stories along the way of our forerunners of how they had to go through the persecution. And some of this is really graphic. He goes into like diagrams of like the torture. It's a hard read. And then I remember this website, this ministry, where they track present-day followers that are being persecuted right now. And they have resources for us to pray or maybe support today, tomorrow. And so I think this lineage of suffering is a way that how do we, again, live in this fallen, broken world, but knowing that there's all these people from Jesus, the apostles and other believers, so many have had to go through struggles of some big, some small, but it's encouragement that we are part of that lineage as well. That if they can as ordinary people, then you and I as ordinary people can do the same if we remain in Christ and trust and believe and have faith. He is with us every step of the way. Here's the next group. I want you to go ahead and share. Uh, When helping someone who is in the midst of suffering or struggles, 
What have you learned through life experience of what to do and what not to do? This gets a little practical of now, here, today, of bumping into people, family and friends and others, going through struggles. But I'm just curious what you come up with. What to do and what not to do. Go ahead. All right. Looks like some rich conversations. So I'm curious to hear some uh, nuggets of wisdom through real life experience and what you have bumped into maybe even done to yourself. I'm curious just to throw out just some ideas of what not to do. What did you come up with? Anybody? Okay. What's some other ones? Don't try to fix it. Don't say at least it's not. Mm, you know, at mm-hmm. least it's not this. Oh yeah, at least it's not this. Okay, that's helpful. Ooh, dismissive. Okay, make light of it. Any other things? It'll be fine. Yeah. Has some of this happened to you along the way? How many of you have said that? Oh, yeah. I wasn't going to ask that. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't lead them astray. Any other common denominators that you end up sharing? Just being there. Any other things? Listening. Uh, you said spiritual listening. Mm-hmm. Really listening through the heart of God. Discernment, wisdom. Compassion. We talked about just being compassionate. Yeah. Right. Hmm? Comfort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good one. Yeah. And realize that he's got it. In his hands, no surprises, no shock. Yeah. Here's just some of the ideas, because I do think this is very practical. That in this lineage of the suffering of having to be in this age, that we're going to bump into it, not in our own lives, but a lot of other people that may not be as far along in the journey as you. So you get to be Jesus in the flesh. You get to be there spiritual mother, father in their journey and to be effective and help them run the race and to endure and to persevere and to teaching them how, what it means to be in this relationship 
with Jesus. These are just some ideas. And some of them have already been mentioned. Listening versus lecturing. Understand before being understood. Instead of just jumping to it, just hear the story. Hear the hurts, the pains, whatever it is. The next one kind of goes in, in line with that. Empathy versus sympathy. Typically, we use the word sympathy more as a, a cognitive acknowledgement of what's happening. More of a, I think as you think. But empathy is more of, I feel as you feel. Package deal. And so, if you're able to do this, the real gift of being there is just to be able to sit in it, at least for a moment. And so, your greatest gift that you can offer someone is you. You are the greatest gift that you can offer someone. Because if you can sit in that pain with them, they're, they're not alone. Someone's with them. How powerful that is to be brothers and sisters in Christ and going through this together. Now, it, it, it takes something for you to be willing to do that. Because I mentioned earlier, it's another type of suffering, to feel the pain of the pain of others. You gotta be right there. And the willingness to do so. If you can get through the, those two, it's a lot easier to get to the next two. Looking inwards versus looking outwards. What is God doing personally in someone's life and not just trying to fix the circumstances out here? What is God doing? Kind of going along with it, focus on a future hope versus the past regrets. How do we give the hope of what we're shooting for, what God is doing and then encouragement is how to get there to that goal. And the verses we talked about, that there was a lot about this hope that, that, that Jesus and the apostles, they had to look through the suffering and the pain, and they knew what the, the goal was and where this was going. And it helps them to get through it. It's really how motivation works. To have a vision helps us in the motivation to take the steps that are needed, even if they're difficult or hard, if we know what we're shooting for. If the vision is kind of fuzzy and foggy and unknown, then why am I doing this? And a lot of times we won't. And that's what I think the book of Hebrews is really all about. It helps us to know who this Jesus is, what he did, and what he continues to do. And we focus on that, and it helps us to get there. So these are just some ideas of uh, being more effective in, in bumping into people that are struggling, suffering, big and small. I want to kind of end with this one gentleman. Um, there's not a lot of, you know, Christian leaders that I totally respect or admire or look up to. Okay? But this guy is one of them. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. And he's written many books. He's a world 
speaker, speaks to millions of people. And, and so when you think about a person who struggles, I'm sure every day he's got to be bumping into the struggle of just, how do you do life? And he's had to do it since he was born. How many things do you think he had to ask for help? And how many people are helping him to live life? He didn't hop on that surfboard by himself. But he is surfing. But the one thing that's cool about him, he is always smiling. There is something real, legit, sincere, genuine about how he lives life. And when you watch his videos, when he talks to high schoolers, man, if I just had some of what he's got, man, it would be great. <laughs> but I so much in my head, so much in that what's going around, I don't know what it means to really just enjoy what God's got going on. But that's the learning process that I'm on to get there. He is way ahead. But his circumstances forced him from an early age to get there in his faith. There's no questioning. There's no doubts what God has done in his life. And he's at a point where he can thank God for that. That's a hard one. And so, again, I get emotional about this. Not tears of sadness or sorrow, being sorry for him. These are tears of joy because I see God at work in and through and what God can do to redeem the effects of sin. To be part of his plans for his purposes, for his glory. And go, wow. So when, I have a question. When high school students are One clip, he, uh, he shows them how to answer the telephone. You know, old school telephone. And he does have one little flipper. And, and how he does, and he flips that phone up and he catches it. And he dials. He's able to do that. <laughs> and everyone goes, wow. <laughs> and he does it with a smile. But a smile of the joy of what he has in his relationship with God. It's so special. In closing, I want you to take a piece of paper that's in front of you. And these are some of the benedictions, uh, the doxology benedictions in a couple of these books. This is mentioned in your, in your workbook. And what I want you to do is fill in the blank... Fill in the bank with your first name. Don't worry about it's grammatically doesn't sound right, but the purpose is, as you read these and ponder these, you're also going to see your name in the midst of it. These are summary statements that the author puts in there of words of assurance to bring joy, peace, comfort, security. It helps us to have his faith in a faithful God. 
And this exercise of personalizing scripture is a great practice to do. And just as a side note, if you're ever looking for a devotional, um, one unique one is called Jesus Calling. Anybody familiar with it? What's so new unique about Jesus Calling? How does the author write it? A love letter from Jesus. It's in, it's in first person. It's written as if Jesus is talking to you directly, not third person like out there somewhere. So when you read it, it's like, oh, you just take it in a little bit different. And I think that's what, can, what we can do when we personalize scripture. And so for the next just couple minutes, I just want you to like zone and focus and just look at it and read it and just look at it again and read it again and just look at it. And in a few minutes, I'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time this evening and for your word and for the Holy Spirit to inspire men to write these words down for our benefit. And Lord, I pray that each of us would consider and ponder what it means to be faithful. Faithfulness is to seek you and to look to you, to trust you and to believe in you. Because in that, you will help us to endure and to persevere this life that we have to live in for right now. And what you do has meaning and purpose. You are a good God who wants the best for us. Even at times, it's very uncomfortable. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so much that you were willing to do what you did and how you continue to work even today and all the things that you will do and yet to come. All we can say is just thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.